Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Taking the Field, the 24-7 sports podcast. It's been a busy time of the year with the early signing period opening up yesterday. Lots of stuff going on. I'm your host, John Fields, and joining me today is Matthew Bruni. Bruni, I know it was a busy time for you guys over at LSU, too, man. How are you doing? I'm recovering. Recovering. <laughs> I, I don't drink, but this is like my, my hangover. So it's just like yesterday was literally the longest day. I mean, uh, I think I got, well, I got 40 minutes of sleep during the night and then I got up, did a live stream, um, had to evaluate all the commits or signees and everybody. And then I took like a two hour nap in the middle of the day, worked some more. And then I finally got to sleep from 630 to 10 and I felt great. And then I, and then I was, I was reset. I was good. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, for sure, man. It, it was a busy day too. I mean, not necessarily to the same extent, but North Texas had a bunch going on. I had live coverage going to that. They end up, you know, signing eight players, pick up another commit as well, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. But we're here first off to talk some men's basketball because they've had some recent games going on. Um, since the last time we talked about men's basketball, they went one and two at the ESPN Events Invitational, uh, beating Drake in the last game, which is a pretty good, pretty big win for the program. Um mm-hmm. And then they had LSU Shreveport uh, replace Nevada because Nevada was having some COVID issues. Yeah. So they played LSU Shreveport. And then the last few days, they played uh, UMass and beat them on Saturday. Uh, and then they beat Sam Houston on Tuesday. So now they're six and three on the year. So we're going to talk about those two most recent results, uh, starting with the UMass game, I guess, since that's the furthest one away at this point. But, you know, I heard you got a chance to finally get to watch UMass, uh, even though it was on Flow Sports, man. So uh, <laughs> what, what were your takeaways from that one? Yeah, man, shout out Flow Sports. I was not about to pay $13 to watch uh, UMass, uh, the UMass game. Maybe if it was like the Kansas <laughs> game or something, maybe I'd tune in. But uh, I watched it after the fact. And uh, this was, and especially after watching the Sam Houston game, this was North Texas. It felt like North Texas' best game of the year to me. Mm. And you maybe maybe uh, the Drake game I saw some of. No, I, I watched most of the Drake game too. It was so long ago. Um, I think this was even better than that. I Because UMass came in, and I want to say they're still top 25 in the country on offense. Like they're an elite yeah. offense. And North Texas held, held them down to 57 points. And it wasn't a fluky 57. Um, it wasn't a fluky defensive performance either. We know what North Texas can do on that end. Um, I, I talked to Coach Hodge a little bit after the game, and he said he was really worried about their three-point shooting and how they spaced them out. And they held them to 6-16 six to 16 from three, uh, only gave up a 13 free throw attempts for the game. Uh, it was just a really, really resounding performance for North Texas defense to to keep UMass under wraps, slow it down, do what they've always done and execute on offense as well and get enough points there. And they were in control for what pretty much the last 30 minutes of the game. I mean, there was very few times where UMass uh, felt like they had a chance. Yeah. I think they led for like the last 25, 30 minutes of the game or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like North Texas, I think their lead was like, it got up to seven and then they never fell below seven the rest of the way. Like it fell a little closer than that at times when UMass went on some runs, but UMass never really could pull back into it. And I agree with you. It was pretty impressive to see against, as you said, one of the better offenses in the country. I think they made like, uh, so yeah, they, they held UMass to a season low 57, which was 14 below their previous low of 71 points. And as you said, wasn't a fluke 57. Uh, and then obviously UMass pretty potent three point shooting team coming into the game. And like you said, they hold them to not a lot there either. And, 
those were some of my keys to the game really coming in. I put a preview out before it and it was like, got to control the pace the way North Texas likes to do. And they have to, you know, not let UMass, UMass is going to go on some runs, but they can't have them be getting easy threes, get on these big streaks like that. And then the last one was just dominate them inside because UMass doesn't have a lot of size. And I think you could really see that as well. North Texas was early and often going in the paint. I thought Jemiah Simmons has had some solid minutes off the bench. He got a couple baskets inside, um, which he can do against a team like this that doesn't necessarily have like a true center presence, yeah. a true inside presence to block shots and that kind of thing. It was a good game for Abu as well. He tied his career high with 13 points um, and he was hitting shots inside quite a bit. Thomas Bell went inside some down the stretch as well, which was pretty big. So to me, that was one of the more um, notable things from the game is UNT was kind of able to adjust their approach coming into this game where, I mean, at times they've had, uh, you know, games where they've settled for too many threes. This one, I mean, they just went in the paint time after time and got the baskets when they needed them. For, for context, uh, UMass beat Rutgers which uh, by by two and you know I, I don't believe in transitive properties but you, Rutgers then goes and beats Purdue who is the number one team in the country um <laughs> y- UMass also beat Penn State earlier this year which is a top 100 team which I watched Penn State give LSU fits this year um and they beat Penn State by 25 so it's like this UMass team while they're I think they're inconsistent this is a potent team that North Texas had to play well against at a neutral site to to win and I, like I said, I think it was their best performance. So this is one of those wins that I, shows me what this team can be in conference play, and that's really exciting. Um, you, you, you mentioned some of the highlight players. Uh, Ruben Jones, I thought, played a really solid game as well, even though he only had one assist, which I think in his best games, I think he's getting more than one assist, but still three of five from three, five of eight from the field, 13 points. Abu, like you said, 13 points, five of eight shooting as well. So very um, distributed scoring. Uh, from this game, you'd like to see Drez do more, only one of seven from three. Uh, he did bounce back in the Sam Houston game, though, pretty well. He did. He did. And that was one of the concerns to me from several games through. Drez has kind of been struggling, and we'll touch on it here in a minute, but he has turned it around finally, it seems. Hit a bunch of threes in this most recent game. But one of the stats I wanted to touch on, because I mentioned how North Texas was going in the paint a lot, So in the first half alone, they went 11 of 13 on two pointers and outscored UMass 22 to six points in the paint. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the story of how that game was going early on, I don't know what does. And I mean, the rebounding was fairly even, but North Texas had a bit of an edge there. And to me, it just was North Texas decided they were going to go inside and UMass didn't have anybody that could stop them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Thomas had that dunk at the end that, Wow, was, yeah. was awesome. Uh, Drez put his put his head down. He had one finish that was really nice. Um, I, I was surprised to see Maya get in there and mix it up. Uh, not because I don't think he's he's a fine player, but we hadn't seen it really um, mm. too much, at least uh, in the past few years. And like you said, this might be the perfect team for him. Uh, I think Aaron Scott continues to impress me just as being not in over his head when he plays, and that's a big deal for a freshman. So there. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about this more so after the same Houston game, but it feels like they're tightening the rotation up. They're figuring out what they got, and they're kind of just going from there. Absolutely. Well, and that's sort of where I wanted to go next a little, too, is the fact that Jemiah Simmons is basically the backup center off the bench at this point if they don't go small ball with Thomas Bell. Yeah. Like, Hamir Wright's healthy now, at least for the most part from what I can tell. He's just not playing as yeah. they shorten up the rotation here. So 
that's something to watch moving forward because, I mean, I don't think he's done playing for this team ever. He's going to get in some games, but it seems like in the big games, they trust Jemiah Simmons more as a small ball five compared to Hamir. Yeah, I, it's um, I think I think it's just a defensive thing, honestly. I think they yeah. just trust Maya's defensive awareness and just what he's brought to this program, um, more than because Hamir over the offseason, the whole thing was you know trying to get him comfortable in the defense, trying to because at Washington it was so uh, laze laze, you know blase. It was just no, they didn't do anything in Washington, and so coming over here that was a big adjustment. We talked about that, but. I think we saw it last year. I think we're going to see it this year in conference games. I think it's just – I think for the most part, it's just going to be the, the seven-man rotation with starting five and Tyler and Aaron Scott off the bench for the most part. Um, against Sam Houston, it was six, really. I mean, Maya got eight minutes and Aaron Scott got seven minutes. But other than that, we're looking at Thomas, 35 minutes, which I think he'll probably average in conference play. Drez, 38 minutes. I mean, he'll be around 35. Ruben, 36 minutes. I think he'll be around 35. Um, and then you throw Tyler in there for 28, JJ for 28, and Abu, as long as he can stay out of foul trouble, I think he'll be in there for, you know, 25 to 28 minutes. So, I I mean, we like to talk about the bench, and I think this this team does have some – I think Amir is a fine player. Um, I think Jemiah and Aaron Scott are both all fine players, and I think they'll all contribute. But, I mean, we it comes down to your starters at the end of the day, and I think that this team is going to be six deep. And then if they get in trouble, then they'll throw in some pieces around that. And that's going to be interesting to watch because I still think that that six is good enough to win you conference. Yeah, no, I would tend to agree with you. And if we want to transition a little now to the Sam Houston game, that was one of the things that was a little concerning to me is with that rotation being as short as it is, Tyler Perry goes down early with yep. a bit of a knock on his ankle. And I was like, man, that could be a huge loss. Turns out he was okay. He gets back in the game and ends up, you know, scoring a bit down the stretch. We'll see long-term. I don't think it's anything very serious, but that would, that would be a concerning thing if they lose one of those guys, because like you said, I mean, that rotation of the top line guys here, it's pretty short. So losing one of them, especially a ball handler like Tyler, that wouldn't be great at all. I'm not even sure where they would go. I feel like if, if again, just in theory, knock on wood, um, if one of the guards did go down uh, or one of the guards got in foul trouble or something, I feel like they would just move everybody up and play Aaron Scott more, maybe at the three or the four. Um, yeah. Cause I don't think I can't see them putting in Bryce Saphir. I can't maybe Rashid Brown. I don't think they're comfortable with him right now. I mean, Matthew stone can shoot has a big body. Maybe they play him to slide him in there, but like he can't, I don't know about him handling the ball. So I, I think I think Aaron Scott is that kind of catch-all right now, right? If if something goes wrong yeah. with the with the bigs, they slide him in at the four. If they need him to move up to three, he can. Um, and also Thomas Bell's versatility helps as well. So um, I think they probably go big before they would play one of those guards that I mentioned. Like right, wouldn't wouldn't they rather go to Maya or Hamir than go to uh, Matt Stone or Rashid Brown? A hundred percent. I think that's just seen itself play out in the games here where, I mean, you've seen Hamir right off the bench sooner than you've seen Rashid Brown, Matthew Stone, or even Bryce Zephyr. Yeah. So I agree. I think it would be probably Aaron Scott at the three or something like that. If you can keep a boo in and then maybe you slide Jemiah in at the five, if a boo's not there, you know, go yeah. Aaron Scott, Jemiah, Thomas Bell, and then a couple of the guards. Yeah. Uh, and so I would tend to agree. Yeah, and I, I completely over 
like just went right over uh, us transitioning to the Sam Houston game, uh, which I thought was not not a great watch. I didn't think it was the best, the prettiest game uh, ever. But North Texas does get the win, sixty five to fifty five, and they start off the game really hot. Um, I think a lot of that was also Sam Houston just completely just being awful. But then North Texas was was not good to close the first half and let Sam Houston right back into it. So uh, they just kind of traded some not some low lights. And by the end of the game, North Texas was able to just pull it out, gut out a win where they didn't play overly well. Yeah, well, and it's kind of a weird Sam Houston team, right? Because they've got all these sort of talented guys. They've been competitive even with Texas early in the year for stretches, but there's just something about that team. And I mean, the main part to me is just the free throw shooting. They're just awful. That starting with Savion flag. I mean, it, it was awful. I, I was talking with one of the guys sitting next to me who was like a scout for guys trying to move up to the next level. And we just, every time flag went to the free throw line down the stretch, we were joking like, Oh man, we get to see this guy shooting free throws again. Cause like his routine is so bad. He takes like a dribble and steps into it as he's shooting it. I mean, it's, it's just so ugly to watch. And he missed like every one of them down the stretch, which was a big part of why Sam Houston couldn't quite get back yep. into it. Um, and you mentioned the early runs. North Texas went up 23 to three over the first like eight minutes and 10 seconds. And then Sam Houston rallies with a 17 to three run and it makes it a 26, 20 game basically negates the whole thing over the next like five, six minutes of game time. And, so and the whole thing, the whole thing about that run North Texas allowed was they just kept turning the ball over. I don't have yeah. the first half turnovers in front of me, but it was like, um, Ruben, had like eight of them in that run. Yeah. Like Ruben kept dribbling the ball off his foot and just turning it over. And then Thomas comes and dribbles it off his foot and Abu threw the ball away. And I was just like, what, how did, how did things just go so bad so fast against a defense that's not even that good in Sam Houston state? There's no reason to be rushing. Like, I know I know. When you look at the box score at the end of the game, it's like, oh, they only had 14 turnovers. But that's also 14 turnovers to 10 assists. There's also 14 turnovers when there's not a lot of possessions in the game anyways because they're one of the slower teams in the country. So let's say they got, I don't know, 65 possessions out of this game. 14 out of 65 is a lot more than 14 out of 80 like other teams. Like this, the, that is a, it was really, really ugly. And the thing is, it wasn't just one person, even though Ruben did have four turnovers. It was... Thomas with two, Drez two, Tyler two, like other players with one. So I, that was that was a very concerning thing to me because it wasn't even like Sam Houston was doing anything crazy. But they gave, but I mean, Sam Houston ends up with fourteen points off turnovers, and that kind of kept him in the game, in my opinion, because they weren't making anything outside the three point line. That's for damn sure. They shot two of twenty two from three. Yeah, hundred percent. And both of those makes were Savion flag hitting a couple in the second half. Like outside of that, they had nobody that could hit a three in this game, even inside the lane. They weren't doing all that great. I think they ended up like low forties from the field. I mean, it, it was just an ugly game to watch in general. And, um, man, I, I got the stats pulled up now on Savion flag for the game. So he finishes off, you know, a decent stat line to look at the first couple numbers, right? 20 points, 11 boards. Yeah. He goes eight of 19 from the field, two of 11 from deep, and then like two of 11 from the free throw line as well. Like, it's just, I don't even under, or two of nine from the free throw line. Sorry. Like, I don't understand how a guy who's like the star player on that team, clearly talented, leading scorer at Texas A&M, right? Last yeah. year. 
Yeah, he was really I, good. I don't understand how you can I be that bad on free throws, that bad from the field and all that kind of stuff. I mean, some of it, I guess, is credit to the UNT defense, but, like, man, it was an ugly, ugly that, showing. Are you crediting that free throw defense they played? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what is what we're crediting. Grant McCaslin's figured it out, man. He's figured it out. Um, oh, man. To go to – and the thing is, I, I think this should – this game should have been like the UT Arlington game. Like if North Texas took care of business, this game should have been a 30 point beatdown the way that UTA yeah. game was. Cause I don't think Sam Houston's better than UTA um, at least not significantly. And I mean, they, maybe they are better than UTA, but it's still not close um, between North Texas and them, especially when they spot you a 20 to three, 23 to three lead. I think this game should have been a blowout, but North Texas didn't do what they need to do. Um, I want to talk – so we talked about Drez, 4 of 8 from 3. That will get his average up a little bit. That was nice to see. Um, he also has three steals, which is comforting. I thought J.J. played actually a pretty solid game in his 28 minutes. He had three steals as well, uh, seven points, three of seven shooting. Uh, his three-point shooting still is not falling. He's 0 of 4. They're going to need him to make threes at some point. Um, yeah. I, Tyler, like you said, went down. I was worried that he was done. For the game, he ends up coming back and plays 28 minutes, 10 points. Uh, wasn't great, but was 8 of 8 from the free throw line. And that problem, that is the difference in this game is free throws a lot, mostly. So, yeah, overall, I, I, I outside of the turnovers and being disappointed in that area, I thought it was fine. I mean, they played fine defense. They, um, they did what they needed to do, and they pulled out a win when they didn't play great. Um, I will say... Abu played 20 minutes again. If they can get him up to that 25 minutes per game area in, in conference, that'll be big because he's starting to come into his own. Oh, absolutely, man. And that was one of my takeaways was like, Abu's not on a Zach Simmons level, but he's getting to that point on the offensive side a little bit where you know you can count on him to hit a shot inside. Like you can just throw him the ball and he's going to go to work. There were a couple of times where he even beat Sam Houston double teams going to the paint. Mm-hmm. Had several times where he hit a layup plus the foul and then missed the and one free throw, which was a little disappointing. But, I mean, three of five from the foul line, that's probably about where you'd expect him to be, 60%, 70% on the year yeah. tops. So you can't complain about that too much, I don't think. Um, and I was encouraged down the stretch what I saw with sort of Thomas Bell and Tyler Perry kind of taking over as the guys down the stretch to some extent. North Texas didn't look as kind of discombobulated in crunch time, I feel like. like Thomas Bell just decided, okay, I'm going to get to the rim. And then he did. He got fouled several times, made enough of his free throws to where it didn't matter. I mean, 6 of 11 is not great, but he made enough, especially down the stretch. And then Tyler Perry goes 8 for 8 on free throws, hitting like 6 of those in crunch time, at least 4 in crunch time, to really, you know, ice the game there at the end. Um, So, to me, I was encouraged by what I saw down the stretch. They found a way to get stops and score when they needed to. Even if it was an ugly game, I think there were still some encouraging signs. Abu, you mentioned that Abu's not at Zach's level yet as a scorer, but I think he definitely, A, I think he has a higher ceiling, which I think I knew last year. I think he is just really skilled and talented. Um, He's also getting a little more athletic, which we talked about. You know, he has a little bit more spring to his step maybe even more than Zach had um, <laughs> in his days. But um, and while he might not be better than Zach this year, as far as just scoring goes, strictly scoring, he might not be better than Zach this year. I mean, next year, I definitely think he takes that step forward because the, he, the step that he's taken forward from freshman to sophomore year is significant. You know, next year, oh, I anticipate yeah. that being another step. Um, the big thing with Zach was obviously his passing um, and his defensive positioning. 
where Zach would take a bunch of charges as well. So Abu will continue to grow in that area, continue to improve. But if he can score, if he can go five of eight in games and for 13 points, that's that's a huge boost to this offense because then it gives you another avenue to attack because like we've talked about, there's JV on Hammond's not on this team. You know, is it going to be Thomas? Is it going to be Tyler? Uh, in crunch time, I don't know. But regardless, having Abu in there when he is in the game and being able to feed him is a big, big plus for this team. And hopefully he can start staying out of foul trouble. He had four fouls against Sam Houston. I think against uh, UMass he had a few as well. I don't remember. Yeah, UMass. Well, he just had one against UMass. Okay, yeah. good. Then other guys were in foul trouble. So Ruben had four and Thomas had four in that game. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, so um, – yeah, overall, I'm happy with that. I'm with these, happy with these two wins. Uh, six and three now overall in the season. Uh, Wichita State coming up next. And then uh, who do they play after that? They play uh... – uh, Oh, they got LSU Alexandria the 28th, I think. Yeah, and then they – And have that's won- the last one before conference. Yeah, but they have someone up between that, don't they? I have the women's schedule. Oh, they got Tulsa. That's right. They that's got Tulsa on the 21st. So, yeah, we'll see. The Wichita State game is a big one. Um again just tuning up for conference at this point and um what a conference season it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun because there's some very very talented teams at this point conference USA UAB is leading the charge La Tech's a good team uh even with Isaiah Crawford going down that's a big blow for them but still um Western looks fine uh even though inconsistent and then you know you got like UTEP Rice who are kind of capable opponents even though I'd say North Texas is better but you never know. I'm just excited for it. No, nah, man, for sure. For sure. And one other guy, I wanted to touch a little more on Ruben just because I remembered another thing this last game. He had a pretty nice dunk down the stretch, too, that really came at a big time for North Texas. And, you know, you talked about some of the assists not being quite up there. He ends up four assists in the Sam Houston game. Four turnovers isn't ideal, like you said. A lot of those came early on. Once he sort of yeah. settled into it, I felt like he's just making this team a lot better and he is taking that step. He's still got a ways to go, but he's been a big shot maker really the last two or three games, even hitting shots when North Texas really needs a bucket. Um, I think the UMass game, especially he had some threes at big moments where I was like, man, they really needed that shot. Uh, Cause yeah, he had like three of their eight made threes in that game and then ends up with one in this one uh, in the Sam Houston one. But just he's been turning into a really key player for them and he's still got I mean I I don't think he's scratching the surface of where he can be at this point he's got a lot that he can really get a lot better at yeah no I agree Ruben's Ruben was one of the one of the players that continues to stand out to me I'm just like seeing him get more comfortable which is why the the stretch of turnovers was really jarring to me I was like what is what is going on? It wasn't like a thing where I was watching him be like, Oh, Ruben sucks. I was like, Ruben, what is, what is happening? Like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't you, this isn't you. So uh, yeah, that's going to be big. Like I said, this six man rotation is going to be a really, really tight. And then you throw Aaron Scott and Jemiah in there as like the seventh and eighth and see, see how they can do. But uh, I will, like I said, I think JJ is going to have to make threes at some point. He's six of 31 on the year. Um I would like Adrez is going to have to get above 31%, which is what he's at right now. He's going to have to get around 35%. Uh, Ruben's fine at like 34% right now. So um, we'll see. We'll see how they continue to, to evolve. 100%. Well, and I want to get now into a little bit of women's basketball because finally able to get a little women's basketball coverage going, which I've been meaning to for a while. They're in store for a pretty good year, it seems like, really having a good start to the season. 
Um, now six and two on the year with their two losses, six points to Missouri state who made it to the sweet 16 last year. And then one point overtime loss to UT Arlington, which was just really crazy game. I only caught sort of down the stretch of that one, but you know, tough loss, obviously in overtime, but now they're on a four game winning streak with wins over Montana state, St. Thomas, and then really beat the brakes off of SMU 84 58, uh, on December 3rd. And the most recent result, 65-49 over Southern. I was there covering that one in person. It was a bit of an ugly game, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. Early on, I think North Texas ended up shooting like 10 free throws in the first quarter because Southern was just fouling and fouling and fouling. And I think that took some of the rhythm out of the game early because then Southern made a little bit of a run to get back into it. You know, midway through the third quarter, I think they even got as close to tying it or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then UNT goes on a run. Quincy Noble hits a big three. Um, and then I think it was Ali Gomez had a big three as well for them to really pull away at that point and secure the win. Noble finished with 17 points, which was big. Tamisha Lampkin had one of her better games of the season, 12 points and 11 boards. Um, and really, it was just an ugly game until probably midway through the third quarter, like I said. And then finally the North Texas offense got going a little bit. Um, They averaged like 80 points a game and only ended up uh, the final was 65-49. So not a great showing from that offense. I think Southern really took them out of their element with that kind of physical defense, but they found a way to turn it on when they needed to and, you know, took care of business. So I don't know that you can complain too much about that result. Yeah, I um. So for those who don't know, I do a Dave Campbell's Texas basketball podcast on the side. Uh, we talk about, you know, obviously Texas college basketball. I watched the SMU game on December 3rd. Um, I watched the first three quarters of that or the yeah first three quarters of that where North Texas just lit them up. I mean, the guard play on this team is really, really exceptional with Gam- Gamez, Noble, Jackson. And, and then you throw in, I think, I mean, even like a, even Amber Dixon, I like a lot um, as mm. well. So the guard versatility this team has is impressive. Then I like the depth they have in the front court, even if it's um, – I don't know if it's – like they don't have like a go-to, go-to player in the post, I'd say. But like Matt, you throw in Maddie Townley, Jalen Millard. Um, uh, where did she go? Oh, Via Gomez I like a lot as well. Tamisha Lampkin. So I like the depth this team has. And just for maybe those who haven't watched watched them yet – this is a team that could very well win the conference, could win the division. Yeah. Uh, I'd say them and UTEP are the two best teams in the in the West Division right now. And I mean, there's I know there's not divisions per se. I guess in, in basketball, are they playing by divisions this year? I don't think. They I are. think they are doing divisions. Actually. Are they? Okay. So yeah, um, them and UTEP will be best teams in the West, and they could very well win the conference. So we'll see how they do in conference. Yeah, well, and one one other player I wanted to highlight, you touched on Maddie Townley. She was just really fun to watch in that one, man. She had a couple mid-range jumpers earlier where I was like, man, this is what I love about, like, just pure basketball kind of a deal. Because you don't see a lot of people now that shoot the mid-range jumper, at least on the men's side. It's just kind of refreshing to see some of that stuff, you know, in in that women's game. And uh, they got a big one coming up on Friday. They're home against Wichita State, and then they get to travel and go take on Oklahoma State as well. You know, former North Texas point guard Nia Boyd is playing for Oklahoma State now as well. So a couple big games for them coming up before conference play starts uh, January 1st at Rice. Yeah, are any those both on the road? Wichita State's, uh, Wichita at, home. State's at home, and then Oklahoma State's on the road. Okay, yeah. So that, that'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, Rice isn't as good as they, they were in years past. Obviously, they lost a lot of talent from there so um 
we'll see how they how they do. But yeah, I don't have anything. I don't have anything else. But that's a that's a good team. If y'all haven't watched them already, go go check out Jalen Mitchell's team. Love Jalen. Yeah, and I'm I'm planning to be there on Friday as well to cover that Wichita State game. So I'll have live coverage of that for you guys. Recap after the game, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, but now I think we can jump into what we led with really, which was football recruiting. Obviously, I mean, biggest time of the year, early signing period opened up yesterday and North Texas signed eight players, picked up another commit. I'll go ahead and run through them real quick. So the first signing they had was Abilene Christian transfer quarterback Stone Earl. Then they had uh, Quillon Farrar, South Oak Cliff running back, who's actually playing for a state championship this weekend with South Oak Cliff. Big game for them. Tomorrow, Friday, uh, I think. Yeah, it's Friday or Saturday, something like that. Well, so that's going to be a big one. I think the 5As are on Friday, aren't they? I actually don't know. Let me look it up. <laughs> Sorry. Not sure. No, you're off. good. I'll keep running through while you look that up. So uh, then they had Cam Robertson out of Plano High School, defensive end. Uh, Damian Smallwood, who we've covered previously this year, offensive lineman out of Denison High School. Jay Macklin, transfer wideout from Missouri, actually a cousin of Jeremy Macklin, the famous NFL receiver. Uh, Jax Van Zant, linebacker out of Thompson High School, the only high school kid they got outside of Alabama or outside of Texas so far from Alabama. Uh, and then they had Ethan Weslowski, who they picked up a little later in the day out of McKinney Boyd High School, another linebacker. Uh, him and um, Abilene Christian quarterback were kind of the two surprise pickups of the day. Uh, and then they did end up signing J.D. Head as well, quarterback out of La Tech. So they signed two quarterbacks and then late in the day picked up a commitment from College of DuPage defensive lineman Tom Treeb, uh, who's actually the number eight JUCO D lineman by 247 Sports and uh, helped lead them to the JUCO national title. So some interesting guys they picked up yesterday and uh, potentially some more to follow here in the next couple of days. I've got a piece up now, you know, looking at who they could be targeting next. And uh, it's just an exciting time of the year at this point as the 2022 class finally comes together. Yeah, you're right. They do. He does play on. He plays their first game on Saturday. The their division two, five A division two. Uh, they play at eleven a.m. So, um, he's they're like the undercard for the the six A games, which North Park and Duncan North North Shore. I'm sorry, and Duncanville play <laughs> at three. Uh, Westlake and Guyer play at seven. So, yeah, they all play on Saturday. Uh, looking at the class, um, I was. Uh, Farrar is kind of like that speedy type guy that you want to at running back. I, he's, I mean, five foot seven. So obviously yeah, we, we DeAndre had talked about, type size. Yeah. DeAndre Torrey type size. Uh, he's not as, I mean, he's not built like DeAndre Torrey yet. Obviously DeAndre Torrey is like six years older than him, whatever. Uh, so you're, you're not gonna get that, but he is, I could see him playing a little bit of slot too. You know, maybe how they envisioned DeAndre Torrey this year, um, being like that yeah. scat bat back type guy that maybe flanks out to to receiver at times uh just incredibly fast quick has track verified times that we can go off of um i think a big get for them was cam robertson though uh at de- defensive end um uh, especially when you consider the players that um so the d commits they had this process or uh, damian smallwood kobe savage i thought they had one more didn't they have one more i don't remember but those are the two that they've had to this point um that are on page page that was the other one yeah Vincent page uh so those i mean those are the three that uh didn't work out and so getting cam robin robertson in their place is a big big deal but then damian smallwood obviously recommitted uh, after that point so um getting him back is a big deal as well so that i don't 
I have anything else? Uh, I, I added Tom Treeb to to the list now of of commits and bringing in two quarterbacks. I think is what everybody's going to talk about because that's obviously the headlining act to see that. But we've seen freshmen make impact plays the past two years for this team. So I wouldn't be surprised if Robertson and Farrar and uh, I mean, those two probably primarily, but Jax Van Zandt, I've heard really good things about. I know they're high about them, about yeah. him at North Texas. So uh, perhaps those three guys having a chance to immediately impact the team wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see how much Macklin factors in at wideout, you know, given the injuries they had this year, how well some of those guys come back, whether it's Tommy Bush, Jair Shorter, you know, depending on what happens with those guys coming back and that kind of thing. It's going to be interesting at receiver because um, that, I mean, that is really the one guy they've brought in so far at wideout. It's, and, you know, just running it back with the guys they have for now. Yeah, um, Rod was, Burns is the only, Rod Burns is the only senior, right? Or, I mean... Yeah, I think Rod Burns might still be good to come back next year, too. I think he was a junior this year or something like that. So I think he might still have another year on him at least, maybe even two. I can't remember if he was listed sophomore or junior, but he should be back next year, I believe, unless he transfers somewhere or anything like that. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how this team shapes up. And they actually offered another quarterback um, last night, I believe it was, uh, Brendan Soresby out of Lake Dallas High School. So he's going to be another one to watch that potentially UNT ends up picking up. He's got a few other offers from like Lamar, Abilene Christian, Western Carolina, and then AM Commerce is kind of the only team that's making a pretty strong push. They had their coaches go visit him the other day and stuff, but it'll be interesting to see if he ends up factoring in too. And to me, offering another quarterback like that kind of, to me, it shows that they're going to be shifting around that quarterback's room a little bit. I don't know who's on the way out. Function is like Austin Ani probably is on the way out he's got a kid on the way and that kind of thing so I'm I'm assuming he's probably done I mean he's like 28 years old at this point probably looking to move on that's I mean he was honored at senior day as well even though he's got a couple years of eligibility left I could see him going I mean and then you got to look at obviously they lost Will Keeney so they got one spot opened up technically um, and maybe they go more quarterbacks but to me you look at Jace Reuter or Imani Gilmore one of those guys may be moving on as well you you read my mind. When I saw two when I saw two quarterbacks picked up, I was just like, "There, it's got to be a clean house situation. It has to be." Yeah. Uh, Case and Martin again. Uh, I always, I always, my my running bit is that I congratulate him for being married uh, and engaged, <laughs> and uh, you know, great guy. I mean, I don't see a reason to keep Case Martin on the team besides team morale. Um, hope uh, you add. So this is this is what I think would be the ideal situation, and this is. Not coming from a place of malice, but you know, I think Case Martin, if you want to just go play somewhere else, there's a lot of places in the DFW area that I think Case Martin could start on. And maybe not at a, even if it's not FBS level, FCS teams are putting up great numbers. I mean, Dallas Baptist yeah. is where, um, or I'm sorry, Houston Baptist is where Bailey Zappi's from. I mean, there, there's a lot of places Case Martin could play if you wanted to. And I think Case Martin, like, this isn't a secret, he could have transferred two years ago. Like, there, there wasn't, there was never really a clear avenue for playing time for him. So, um, you know, for him, maybe it's not about playing time. Maybe he stays on the roster just because he enjoys being here. And, um, you know, but does, isn't his wife a senior too? Isn't, um, I think she's already graduated actually. Okay. So she was a senior on the volleyball team yeah. last year, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they move on, uh, but case of Martin's one, uh, Amani Gilmore, I, don't see coming back. We heard literally, I haven't, I didn't hear anything about him. I don't know about you. I just heard yeah, me either the entire season. 
heard nothing about him. I can't see him come back. I'm surprised he's not already in the portal. Um, like you said, Austin Ani, uh, most likely gone. Um, so that leaves Jace Reuter, Bryce Drummond, and then these two, um, Head, uh, JD Head and uh, Stone Earl. And I think that's probably your class. Now you said they they offered somebody else. I haven't been keeping track of it. If they if they offer if they bring in another quarterback, I just can't see you them getting back to five. And I don't see why you would want to get back to five because the past two years, past three years, really has just been them hoarding quarterbacks and hoping one pops. But what have we seen the last two years? It's just been Austin Ani's been the only one that they've played, been the only one that they've trusted. So there's no need for you to hoard five quarterbacks like Jace or like a Case and Martin and Amani Gilmore. Um, there's no need for that. I mean, Will Keeney was another name before he finally transferred out. Like, yeah, you don't need to, you don't need five quarterbacks, six quarterbacks on your roster. Get four you like, have a freshman. They don't even, they're not gonna have, or I mean, you said they offered one of the freshmen. Um, but uh I I mean I would just roll with those four and and play from there. So you have top end competition in Ruder, Head, and uh Earl, and then Bryce Drummond obviously had a freshman year or a retro year. So you know, even if he's not ready yet, you still have another year with him where you could develop him and you're not in a rush. So that's what I would do. Uh, but yeah, when I saw those names, I was like, there's, it's gotta be just an, a cleaning house situation, but with the way this program has been the past couple of years, who knows, maybe they just have eight quarterbacks on the roster now. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to get to because we had a chance to talk with Latrell yesterday at the press conference. And I got one of his quotes pulled up now where, I mean, obviously he just starts it off. Like he felt like those two guys were a fit for their system, but then he says, quarterbacks are always hard to pass of can't can't ever have enough of them in my opinion because of the way it's gone because of the way it's gone today I mean you've got guys that it's a revolving door so I I don't know man maybe they bring in just a bunch of quarterbacks and just completely turn over the room and end up still with like five or six guys but it hasn't even been a revolving door at North Texas that's the thing like yeah they've kept Kaysen they kept Amani and they kept Will Keen for damn near three years before Keen, Keeney def- finally decided to leave. I was like, I mean, they've kept obviously Austin Ani for a long time, even when he wasn't playing. Um, Jace Reuter, if he stays, I mean, you've kept him. So, I mean, they've done a good job, I guess, at keeping them happy in, in some form or fashion. So, uh, I, I just, I, I can't, I hope they don't have six quarterbacks on this, on this roster. This <laughs> That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Roll with the four and go from there. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. I think that's pretty much all we've got on the recruiting front at this point. Um, you you mentioned you the last thing you mentioned the receivers. They they are, and again, this is all a year. They they didn't count last year at all the the COVID year at all. So um, I hate that personally. I want them just to count it so that way we know. And if they're a fifth year senior, just put super senior on or something. But uh, Bryce, none of these players are up to graduate. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So hundred percent. So maybe you see some guys go to the portal, but yeah, none of them, Jason Pertle. Them are going to have to Jason Pertle's probably dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. And then, I mean, there's a few guys, some interesting offers out there as well. They offered like three guys last night. So one, one story, I guess I will share um, is they offered DB from Utah state Zahadri Jackson uh, former two-star recruit. He spent the last five years at Utah State, so he'd be a grad transfer because he redshirted his freshman year, then mm-hmm. spent, you know, played for four years. One of them doesn't count for COVID, so he'd have a year left. 
Um, but he's actually got a connection. His uncle is a scout with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Antoine Murray. And uh, Murray and UNT assistant Chris Petrilli actually have a relationship from when they were together at Boise State. So I think there's a decent chance Jackson ends up landing with North Texas. I don't know how much he factors into the defensive backfield, but a guy with a lot of college experience that might end up, you know, playing a role back there because, I mean, they were a bit banged up, lose Upton Stout to the portal, which he ends up at Western Kentucky, which was interesting to see. Um, But it's going to be interesting how they handle the defensive backfield and the receivers because, to me, those are two of the bigger points of weakness. And then maybe the offensive line, depending on what happens with some of those guys, Mose, Brammer, depending on if they move on or not. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think they need defensive backs um, desperately. I was laughing at you connecting the dots from Utah <laughs> to Tampa to North Texas to yeah. Zahari. I was like, all right, we are connecting dots out here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they, they definitely need them. Uh, they need talent on the defensive backfield. If nothing else, they need depth. I think that's the biggest thing. More than anything else, they just need depth. So we'll see how Yeah, they and they've got a few offensive line offers out there as well. Michael Shanahan from Tennessee Martin took an official visit at one point. He could be a guy they see – uh, that they're able to land soon. Um, another one, Patrick Smith from Clements High School, defensive back wide receiver. He's another interesting guy that they could pick up to play really on either side of the ball potentially. Um, so there's some guys out there. It's going to be interesting just to see where they end up going with all of that. And uh, the other quote that I did want to highlight is um, ask Latrell basically how many more people or how many more players he was looking to add to the class yesterday. And I think the way the quote is phrased, it's a little tough to tell if he meant 12 to 14 total or adding like 12 to 14 more to what he had. But the way I interpreted it because of the way I phrased my question was he said 12 to 14 more players. So there could be a lot of guys coming here before like the February, you know, around the February signing date. And they've kept a good amount of scholarships um, to be able to sign those guys since they've only got eight signees so far in the one commit. So it's going to be interesting how many more guys they add when guys enter the portal and that kind of thing after the bowl games. I, I will, I will say I, I, I from what I understood um, I, I earlier in the year, at least was that they were with the amount of super seniors and stuff with, you know, players coming back and everything. Um, I understood that it was going to be hard for them to get to 25. So I still don't expect them to get to 25, but and I'm assuming that he's talking about freshmen because uh, the transfers have their own number. Like, you know, mm. you can add up to seven uh, transfers outside of the 25 that you have. So I'm assuming if you had 12 onto the five that we talked about, uh, well, six now because junior college counts. So 12 onto the six, 18, I think 18 would be about right. I'd say uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up with 18 uh, high school slash junior college players. So uh, that that probably be right. I, I don't know if I can see them getting above twenty though, but yeah. maybe it. I get it does depend on who leaves and all that other stuff, and we'll see more after the bowl game and transfer portal stuff. So, but that that's probably what I'm expecting. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty reasonable, and you would know a little better on the numbers than I do. I've been still trying to get into it and all that kind of thing. For sure, for but, sure. Um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. You got anything else, or? Nope, I'm I'm good. I'm ready for this uh this bowl game. Um, I have to do my research on Miami, Ohio, but I do know this. And I think I've seen, I've seen a good amount of Mac this year. Um, just, just from, from what being bored in the middle of the week, watching Mac games and the Mac is not a joke. That's what that, that much I will say there. They are not a, 
I mean, Northern Illinois, Akron. Um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the other team's name. Uh, that was in the championship game. Um, oh, my God. I'm looking it up. I'm not letting yeah, – well, and- Another thing I can say on Miami, Ohio, too, is they're a couple close losses away from being like eight and four, nine and three. Like they're not a bad six and six team. They're a pretty good six and six team. Yes, ex- exactly. Um, Kent State, that was what it was. Kent State, there it is. Uh, yeah, so I've watched I've watched all of them. Uh, good football teams. Uh, Miami, Ohio is favored in this game, at least last I checked. It should be very interesting. I think it was only a three-point spread last I checked. Yeah, that's the last I remember as well, but it's been a little bit since I've looked at the line. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Same here. It's going to be interesting. I'll be down there in Frisco. Thankfully, it's a close game, so I'll be able to go cover it in person for you guys, bring you all the nice coverage and that kind of thing, and uh, we'll see how it goes. should be interesting against, at least from what I've heard, talking to Latrell and some of the players early against the pretty physical Miami, Ohio team. That's the main thing that I've heard so far, so I'll be interested to see how they sort of show up against those guys. And we did touch on it on the last podcast, uh, I think, or maybe the UTSA podcast. It's going to be a big game still for Latrell in terms of whether they win or lose, how much they lose by if they do lose. Like, it's a good barometer for the season in general, I think. Just You got to win the bowl game. Got to win yeah. the bowl game, man. Just just beat them. I don't care who. And I went into the season, say, the, the bowl game season saying, I don't care who they play, just win the damn game. And that's what I'm <laughs> still saying. Just we'll just win. I don't care if it's against a team from Alaska. Um, and again, this is a solid team that North Texas is an underdog against. But this entire season, uh, or at least in the last half of the season, North Texas has been punching above its weight. So we'll see if they can do it again. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got for you guys. Thanks for listening once again. We'll have plenty of exciting stuff coming on the way in the next couple of days, especially as the early signing period comes to a close on Friday. We'll see if there's any more news on the recruiting front before then. Uh, follow the podcast on SoundCloud. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at MeanGreen247 for all the latest. Follow Matthew on Twitter at MatthewBurney underscore. Follow me at JohnFieldZero. And we'll catch you guys in the next one.